0: So I guess I'll just restate the question so everybody knows what they're. So recently in my meditation, I've kind of gotten to a point where things are getting much more still than they used to, and like with all the chatter just kind of stops and everything you just kind of let go, but all of a sudden, after just a few seconds of this, I start to feel like this really intense, just kind of almost like energy just start to swell within my body until it's just really, like I can barely, I can barely sit with it, it feels so intense until it feels like I'm going to explode or something. <laughs> and then I just kind of have to stop. And it gets really hard to stay, you know, just focus on the breath or just stay really still in that state because the, the sensations I'm off, like I kind of triggers that trying to describe what's happening and it goes away because of that. So I'm just wondering what's going on, if that's something like you've heard of before. Or <laughs>
1: so um, we have different energy systems in our mind and body. And, and sometimes when we meditate, we activate them. And... And sometimes it's really blissful and rapturous, and sometimes it's incredibly uncomfortable. And this particular energy has both elements to it. When it starts to emerge, it's incredibly uncomfortable, and it can shift and be absolutely incredibly blissful and rapturous. So it it needs handling. It needs to be carefully attended to. And so it's it's good to... um, gently push edges but it's not good to um, force yourself into something that's not what you need to be doing so when that energy is moving that way first of all what you really really need to watch out for is what's happening with your mind in the sense of do you like it do you not like it are you frightened of it are you resisting around it are you contracting are you hoping does it feel wonderful Does it? do you have an idea about yourself as a result of it any of those kinds of thoughts, watch them very carefully, because um, they're not helpful to, to believe in and follow. Okay, So you want to r- relax the resistance, and you want to move from a place of, of, of um, skill rather than and an contract away from in response to fear. And also it takes um, learning how to work with this energy And sometimes what's actually more peaceful is to stand rather than to sit, because standing tends to be a more grounded posture. And um, did we drop our energetic anchors into the earth the last time we were here? Mm -hmm. You know, the sense of all pervasive awareness, what you need to do is to let your attention sink into the earth, you know, like. 20 feet, 30 feet, 50 feet, 100 feet, 1,000 feet, 2 miles, 5 miles, 10 miles, 100 miles, so that your energy is anchored really into the earth. And that will help. So that will help. Standing will help. And doing bowing and chanting will help. Um, Allow it to move through the system in a way that's gentle and easeful. So it's a little bit like getting plugged into the high power lines. And your body needs to reconfigure itself to handle this energy that's a lot more intense than what you're used to. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it'll feel great, and sometimes it'll feel totally not great. But it's like you need to um, just know that there's an unfolding process that needs to be attended to, and it's very, very normal. Okay? When you start feeling like the energy is such that you're disconnecting, then you need to pull yourself back and do whatever you can to ground.
0: Okay. so there's also a sensation associated a couple of times where like my hands basically just completely disappeared, like from my awareness. I just felt like they were not there. Same mm-hmm. thing happened with the legs. I don't know if that's
1: is that something you'd want to yeah
0: just go with that, or is that, are you saying bring like when you when that starts to happen, be, do what you can to bring yourself back to.
1: That's not that kind of disconnection. Is not the same disconnection. That's the sense, the body sensation is disappearing, but your mind is not separating from your body. And so, being able to differentiate when is the body sensation disappearing and when is the mind separating are different things.
2: Yeah.
3: Yeah. Uh, Yeah. That's a fairly common experience, isn't it, for people to lose awareness, like transcending time and space of Body parts of where they are. Or All
1: kinds of stuff. I mean, we'd stuff that happens. So I'd, yeah. when would wake up, I used
3: to travel in my van, I'd wake up and I would like, oh, where am I? You know, because I'd be in a different place and it would be it would be like that sensation of not knowing where my hands were in meditation. And it was, it was instant and surprise. Oh, where am I today? You know, because I didn't have a clue because I wasn't fully.
4: I was, uh, I was told by a teacher that if you don't do what she said regarding grounding, that that energy becomes um, really detrimental to your health. And that mm-hmm. one of the reasons that, um, that Catholic students would have these horrendous deaths, you know, these just really self-mortifying deaths, was because they didn't know how to ground themselves. Mm-hmm. They would meditate, they would be in prayer, you know, trying to be in the light of God, but since they didn't know how to make the earth as your witness so to speak that energy would cycle in yeah. and start to burn them. Hmm. and then the ends up is pretty bad
1: Wow. I mean you need to take care and so that's why you don't just decide I'm going to sit here come hell or high water and no matter what happens right. I'm yeah. just going to deal with it yeah. you have to be responsive to what's happening at what your capacities so you know and your capacity is going to shift as you, your system changes in response to this But it is like having to develop a new nervous system and a new body you've got to grow a new body in order to handle the energy wow and um that's sort of what what happens you know but you have to you know you've got to do it in the right time in the right measure you know so it's okay to feel a little bit uncomfortable but it's not okay to sustain a sense of feeling like you're going to explode (laughs) at any minute (laughs) and, and that you know it just feels way too much you probably need to stand up or do chanting or do bowing or something like that. I didn't... Oh yeah, I... mean, for different things there was a time when I would do full body bows and chanting. So I'd be chanting at the top of my lungs and do full body bows and I would do that until something would shift in the system and it would just ease out. So devotion, which, you know, is a very powerful tool, is a way that this energy can channel What about walking meditation? Also good. Standing, walking meditation is also good. You know, so that it's not just having to hold it still. Mm -hmm. It's actually bringing the stillness into movement. Yeah.
3: Kind of facilitates. Yeah. Yeah. I love the analogy. Certainly, my description of being plugged—I used to describe it as being plugged into a 5,000. Uh, plug instead of a one ten and it can be very uncomfortable. But it could be dealt with too, and it reminds me also of what you said earlier about distinguishing between oh we're all one and nothing nothing else it doesn't matter to tend to your four year old either the life at hand. And yet it, there's a in my mind there's a duality and you have to figure out what you really need to attend to, and, and you said it eloquently know, earlier about what what you need to deal with and what is—it's kind of like both are true, and which and how are you going to attend to them in the appropriate time and, and
0: space?
1: That's right. Yeah, that's right.
0: Just during the meditation just a bit ago, I started to have the same feeling again. And now that I think about it, it did start to shift after a while, and kind of started to feel like I was like a waving kind of where I couldn't tell if my body was moving or if it was just my my mind. If it felt like I was kind of rocking back and forth and with like almost being pulled by something, and it kind of felt like that started to turn into that kind of sensation. Is that kind of
1: that's normal?
0: Okay. And what again, are you about?
1: yeah, and you don't need to worry about it if you're rocking. You just rock.
0: Mm-hmm. You know. I
5: was like, I feel, <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I'll feel like I'm going back.
1: Yeah, just rock.
5: Just
0: so. Really subtly, yeah.
1: Yeah, just rock. Sometimes it's not so subtle. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, and that's okay, just let it happen. You know, obviously, if it's if it's going to be something that's um, very disruptive to the others, then it might mean that it, there's times, if that's intense like that, that, you, that sitting in your own space is more um, peaceful for yourself, you know. But mostly, you know, just let it do what it needs to do and be attentive to it. But also very much watch the way you're relating to it. Because, you know, where this goes peculiar is when we're not relating to it in the right way. You know? And it goes, you know, something like, you know, there's a lot of energy there, and so this, the, the thought, oh, I'm very powerful. You know, and then the believing of that thought. You know, watch that very carefully. So there's an energy that's moving through the system and it needs to be respected and attended to in a skillful way. But it's not you. You can't, you don't have ownership over it. Is
4: is this what they call the rising serpent?
1: Mm
3: trying to get a concept about everything that was alive to a lot of disabled, mentally, physically, whatever, every kind of condition. I brought rocks off my driveway, you know, granite, what have you, and then I brought some polished granite, what have you, and I passed around the rocks, and I passed around the polished rocks, and then I had some geodes, some small ones. and. Well, one of them is pretty good size. And I said, if you don't think rocks are alive, how did this get to that? Mm-hmm. And they got it. And they were fascinated. They were tapping it, mm-hmm. looking at it, and what have you. And so when you were talking, like, that's what came to mind. And yet, you know, I don't know how long it took, but you can't deny something isn't alive and flowing here.
1: Mm-hmm. Beautiful.
3: So thank you for reminding me.
2: Being a senior in high school, um, one of the things in the movie that I've been thinking about—I didn't really want to think about—but I kind of had to—was the whole idea of competition and trying to strive to be the best and do the best, and how much pressure is put on you to like, you know, achieve high points and make people proud and all that stuff. And um, one of the things that I've noticed with a lot of my fellow peers is not really competition for like becoming the best, but Kind of your self-expression and how you want to present yourself. And like, I don't know. Kind of, I see a lot of competition in self-expression and individuality, and all of these, you know, young adults trying to compete to see who can, you know, talk about the most creative things and have the most dyed hair. Yeah, you know, like little things like that. Like, everyone's always trying. And it almost takes away the whole point of self-expression of trying to be who you are because it becomes a competition. It doesn't become something on the inside where you just want to, you know, fuel your energies into your outer self. It becomes, oh, that girl's wearing this. Well, what can I do to beat that? Uh, You know, this girl posted on Facebook that she's bisexual. What can I post so that I can outbeat that? Things like that where it becomes, you know, just this chain of competing and, it takes away that whole point. And I just find the whole thing kind of sad because, you know, we're all supposed to have our own journeys and figure out who we are, but it seems like everyone else is just worried about trying to be better than what everyone else is. And that's not finding
6: out who they are. That's just competing.
2: And that's just phenomenal right
6: Yeah, and um, I definitely find that's true, like, especially in our GSTA, because... Everyone's like, who? Like all these kids are. Oh, it's the most annoying thing ever. <laughs> but all these kids are like, my coming out story is harder than your coming out story, and I'm more gay than you, and I'm bisexual, <laughs> I'm bisexual even though I totally never hit on girls ever, and all I talk about is boys, and. <sighs> It's just like, it doesn't matter if your coming out stories. <coughs> really hard. It matters that you're trying to help people not have hard coming out stories. So it's really frustrating. But I've also noticed what Orkin was talking about. Like, freshman year is all about trying to look like a punk and be a punk and, like, have the buttons, have the jacket, have the sewn on patches, have the hair, the tip forever. Do all this stuff, and now it's just like who has the tallest mohawk, who has the most patches, who has, who took the longest time to stuff their jacket. So now I don't even try to look like a punk anymore because that's not what the punk's about. And we, uh, Orchid says that I'm the most punk person that she knows because I don't try. And it's, it's just like it's so ridiculous because that's. Like if you really think about like when punk first started, that's totally not what it was about. It wasn't about having studded jackets and spiked up hair. It was about like being different and thinking for yourself. It wasn't about adhering to a stereotype. It's funny. Punk's kind of a um, almost like a metaphor for society because
2: so many people in the group try to like outdo each other and become something that's like, you know, I'm the most anti I've
6: gotten more shows than you.
2: Yeah, and it's, it's like that in society, you know, with money. And we try to be the best we can be. But the truth is, we i all just want to be a community. And when I look at things like punk and groups like that, I want it to be a community, not a competition. I don't look at the size of someone's mohawk. I look at, you know, their ambitions and how they feel and how they can relate to each other and the music and all that stuff.
6: Like I read these old fanzines that I collect, and I just think like like reading these stories about like they're from like the eighties and the seventies and stuff. Like I, I like read these and I read the stories for the, from them, and I'm like, why can't people have that have that community of people that they lived in crappy houses with and dyed each other's hair, and like work together on things instead of separated themselves and
1: try to outdo one another. Well, there's a, an interesting feature about what you're both sharing, which is, I think, um, common that we can experience everywhere. You know, we can't legalize enlightenment. You know? And we can't illegalize ignorance. <laughs> And so, you know, I found it in the monastery as well. You know, people came to the monastery and initially they had really good aspirations. They wanted to wake up and they wanted to do that because they, they could see the value of that. But then something shifts, you know, it's sort of like, you know, when it first starts snowing, you get these flurries and it doesn't stick to the ground. And then eventually it's still a little bit thicker and then eventually it starts to stick to the grass and then it starts to stick to the sidewalk and then it sticks to the street. And the perspective shifts and the longing to belong is really, really, really strong. It's really, really strong. And so, you know, it can start as, well, isn't it great that we all have our own voice? But then there's this deep-seated longing to belong to a group. And then that, that desire, which separates the self out from the others who are not part of the group, or to be the one who's the most belonging to the group, you know, can, can be the, the feature that then causes all this other stuff to happen. I think, you know, for, for all of us, there's no group, there's no teaching, there's no community, there's no guru that is going to be the one thing that's going to do it for us. There needs to be a constant application of seeing what's arising and how we're relating to it and how that squares with our own deepest values and aspirations, okay? And so if there's, a, there's a, a longing for authenticity and for genuine connection, then one can observe when there's the tendency to noticing the competition that arises, to notice that. You know, she posted she was bisexual. How do I feel? What do I need to post? That's a thought in response to trying to show something. But when you are able to notice that thought and know, well, actually, what you value more is genuine connection, then you don't need to pay attention to what she posted. You can come back to your own inner sense of, well, what's authentic for me now? How do I live my life with the values that I respect now? So, no matter what she said, how can I do this now, you know? Now... Everybody needs empathy for all kinds of things and people coming out need lots of empathy because we don't have a society that is very supportive to anybody who is not white and heterosexual.
3: Maybe even a male
1: You know, so everybody is in a position of, you know, dealing with a lot of suffering. They're needing empathy. And so what is often being asked underneath the competition is a kind of desperate cry of can you can you just hear how much how hard this has been for me and how alone i felt and how scary it's been and how you know how how hard i feel about it all you know i'm wanting to do it do something but it's not easy so we need to listen to the to the request underneath the competition of the hunger to be safe, to belong, to have somebody empathize. And then when we can when can touch the pain of what is there, then it sometimes can give us more capacity to respond in a way which is skillful rather than just get wound up by, oh man, you know, and is there anything that we can do to kind of even this thing out, you know. But yeah, you know, um, at Sumedho, there was a, well, there were a couple of times when there was huge amounts of disrobing in the community. You know, monks and nuns have been in the community for many, many, many years, and they disrobed, and everybody gets shaken up when somebody disrobes because they think if you've taken a, a life of faith, then it's, that's the way you should be forever. And when we change, it's somehow not what everybody expected. So. And Ajahn I would say, you know, he would compensate. You know, if, if, if Ajahn Chah disrobed, if the Dalai Lama ran away with the 16-year-old American girl, <laughs> would he still stay a monk? You know, what was he doing this for? And so, you know, he would make the most extreme thing possible, his absolute pinnacle idols doing what was abhorrent to him. And could he still find the motivation in him, in his own heart to do what he felt was what he needed to do for his life? And we are a community and we are an individual. We have to find the motivation in ourselves and we need to find ways to support each other. And we are oscillating between these two things of needing to find the conviction in ourselves and connecting with each other and finding the support to do this together. You know, when I'm with the rocks, I feel in community. You know? And I feel totally supported and completely seen. And I don't experience that all the time in every other circumstance, but I absolutely do when I'm with those rocks. You know. so what's really helpful is to keep coming back to well, what do you value you know, what's authentic for you and what are the things that you want to support both in yourself and in the people around you and when somebody is doing something that you don't feel comfortable <coughs> with how can you stay true to your own convictions and in a way that doesn't separate yourself out from the person that you're having to relate to And part of this is, you know, a growing up story that each of us have to navigate. You know, senior in high school has one level of that. You know, college is another level of that. Being a nun is another level of that. You know, being a dad is another level of that. Being in your 60s or your 70s is another level of that. It's a human journey of learning what our own truths are and finding the support to live with them and to weave in and out between the experience of feeling like an individual and of being part of community. But certainly how you live and how you act will have a difference. And that's why, you know, some individual people have a tremendous impact because they are clear about what their priorities are. There's a man, what's his name? Anyway, he ended up being a a leader. And um, he had a group of men, and they got captured, and they were in a prison of war camp, and there was a documentary on him. And, you know, these guys, they, wow, talk about sick and skinny and difficult circumstances. And they said, it was such a privilege being there with him. You know? So, prisoner of war camp, you know, it's like, there was a whole group of men who were with him in a prisoner of war camp and they came out saying, what an incredible privilege to be there with him. You know? Because he was clear. You know, you're in this hole, so do something good with your life. you know, And uh, make the most of it. Don't complain, don't go that, that way. Focus all of your energy on something that's healthy and positive that's for yourself and for the group. So they turned the prison of war camp into a school. And for some reason, they had lots of toilet paper. So they made textbooks mm-hmm. and exams out of toilet paper. <laughs> nice. And, uh, and when they got out, they got some kind of an accreditation program for the school that they had created, and they actually got, like, could use it. For they had toilet paper because of the Geneva
5: Convention. The war, there's certain things, even in war, that have to be followed. Paper, mm-hmm. and toilet paper. It might have been the
3: showcase where where there was some kind of pressure that they had some, you know, like the Red Cross visiting or something, where they had some kind of pretty just like toilet paper.
1: Pretty pretty foul. They were eating worms and stuff. Yeah. You mm-hmm. mean, it was just like, you know, it was like beyond what most of us would be able to imagine. And yet, the focus was let us keep our minds absolutely focused on what is wholesome, and what can we do. And so they pooled their resources and collectively came together with creating a school, and they they
3: went to school. And the other thing that, that comes back to that they actually created a community out of nothing, and the value that I hear in that is yesterday I did the allergy thing was, and I never would have guessed that I could feel so good today, but the contrast is just stark and wonderful, and yet, you know, the cloud may come again. And to have all of you as a community and the capacity that we have it reminds me of what... I don't have to do it 24-7 all the time. It, you can bring to me. Oh, remember the remember the sky. Remember the sun's going to shine again. And to me,
6: yeah.
3: that's invaluable because you might be close and the right situation, and, and just that knowing or that example of being with people that are working on themselves in whatever capacity at whatever level it says, "Oh yeah, that's the way I'm." Done.
6: And that's why community is so helpful. I just... (laughs) What's frustrating to me about these people that are competing to be more gay than other people? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And the people that are like, my coming out story is more hard. it's, It's not that they're doing that. It's that they won't come to the club and be active and help themselves and help other people. Because I extend like this only branch to them. I say like, come come to me, come to this club. We can help you. We can we can help like support you. We can do this for you. We really want you to come and we really want to help you. And then say like no I'd rather socialize with my friends. And it's just like If you're going to try and tell people about how hard things are, but then you won't go and make things better for yourself. Because that's all we want to do, is make things better for people. And they won't let help me help them. We had this conversation, didn't we?
5: Well, you can't, uh, People have to be ready. Right so
6: frustrating, though. <laughs> they have
3: People to, do. to come yeah,
6: from inside themselves. They can't come from outside. When it's, it's so
1: frustrating, you know, the place of of compassion is for yourself, yeah. because because you can see that there's a need, and you can see that there's an opportunity to support, and you can see that the person is not taking it up. You can see all of that. And it is so frustrating and yet you have to sit there with your own frustration and 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 let it because you can because what else can you do you know but that you know when you when there's a really a deep-seated longing to help and it's frustrated because a person is not ready to receive that help there's there's a kind of i don't know what it is it's another level of growing a new body of tolerating that level of
5: discomfort
6: No, I don't know if I can handle
5: another one of these. You can't save the world. You're you're, you're in the right place. If I
6: had to deal with another body, I don't know what
5: I'd do. I (laughs) only have this one. Why why are you in the right place? Well, for me, I mean, there's the issues and the drama and the solution. And the solution that we share here is insight through Buddhism and meditation. And what that allows me to do is when the crap storms flying on around me and life is going on with this insight I remain a little bit calmer and see it. And then, I mean at first it has to be an inside job. The, the ins, you know, I do this insight thing, this spiritual awakening for me, because the only way I can share it with anybody else is if I started, you know, if I have a little more calmness when that crap storm is going on, and watching your, you know, what we're doing here by watching our breath, and and you you get to feel of that, then, and, and they said it in that movie, you know, how do you eat an elephant? sometimes it's really hard to be patient just taking one bite at a time but the this I mean I really respect you for being in here being so young and trying to wake up like this you know and you can you can watch all the stuff or you can you know see what's here and calm down a little bit and then be of service to your fellow
4: and and understand that with other human beings, human beings in general have to create a narrative for their own identity, to tell themselves what they are, and even though they'll probably never even fall through it, and that's morphs into all kinds of things. It could be joining a religion, being saved, being part of some kind of association of, of, of any type, artistic or political or athletic, and it's usually this this narration that makes people feel good about themselves because they they draw their identity upon saying that I'm a, you know, I'm this awesome punk rocker because I have this twelve foot mohawk or you know, I'm this awesome bisexual person because I have all these scantily clad, you know, or oppressed adventures or whatever it is that a person can say that they're so awesome about themselves. And really what what you're listening to is somebody who's who's not perceiving reality and so yeah, they're going to blow you off because it's more important for them to say what their narration is and then go off and say I got it this is what I am and their world will come down crashing on them really fast really hard down the line when when they're up against something that's true something that's real and you know, you're here because you want to be real and you Running this, this, I imagine this, study, this group study group, or just the GSA, because you really want to help people. Because you experience your own pain, and you you don't want people to see pain. And having the compassion to know that that majority of human beings, and it doesn't matter what subject it is, but just majority of human beings, and it doesn't matter what age, it happens at all age groups, all classes, rich or poor. We there's this narrative that we tell ourselves that we're this. And I go and I buy this thing off the shelf, and I do this thing, whatever this thing is, and that's how I'm going to affiliate myself. And you just just have the compassion to know that one day it's going to fall apart, and you really will be there for them because you really were the life. I feel like there's
2: this big difference between me and a lot of people my age, and it's that. When they feel like they're struggling with something and they have this, like, something on their mind that hurts or something that's happening in their life that hurts, they reach out by telling their story and, like, almost bragging and, you know, asking for attention. And I'll, I want to do that, too, sometimes, but what I really want to do is educate myself. I really like being educated and learning about other people's stuff just to help myself out. I would rather learn and learn and learn than brag and brag and brag. And I think maybe that's why I get frustrated is because I see all these people that kind of lack that education that I think that they need to help them figure out their problems.
3: Interesting. I feel what they need. That kind of says it all. Mm -hmm. You get it. Mm -hmm. And, And as they mature and as you mature there won't be that because it's coming from what I feel they need and that might change to when they're ready, they'll come.
6: I feel like part of the reason why people don't come to us when we offer the help or that they go brag about how hard their life is, I feel like part of the trend lately is getting us understood. Like, it's hip to have these hard, traumatizing stories, and then people go like, oh, it's okay, oh, you'll never understand me, you know, like, it's hip to be misunderstood, and I just noticed that, like, as I'm growing up, all these kids are like, oh, yeah, i just found out that I might have, like, schizophrenia, but, you know, it's all good, because they're just going to put me on, like, Prozac, and... Then I'll just give it to you guys. You know, like, it's, that kind of stuff is hip now. Like, I don't understand why people think it's cool to not have their life together. We live in a culture,
1: in a victim culture. And people, you know what you're talking about, the narrative? You know, there's a huge narrative about being a victim. And... Um, and people get really put out if you're not willing to support them in their victim identity. Mm-hmm. So if you don't agree with how um, victimized they are, or have been, mm-hmm. or should be, or could be, or might be, you know, that's sometimes so catastrophic they can't sustain contact, you know. And it, we're, we live in a weird world. I mean, the, you know, the values of our society and the stuff that's going on, some of it's a little bit twisted. But what's important is, is, is that certainly it can help understanding why the, you know, the situation is is the way it is, but what's important is for you to know who you are and for you to know what your values are and for you to know that you value having a sense of who you are and living a life in a good way. That's what's important. And then from that place, you'll be able to do what you can to help you know, a few others. You know, when the Dalai Lama says something like, You know, if there's one person that I can help in my lifetime, then I think my lifetime is valuable. You know, so when you get somebody like that, you know, a superstar of compassion, saying that if there's just one human being that he can help in his entire lifetime, then that's a good life, it kind of puts it in perspective.